The shift change on Series 4 was as routine as breathing. Workers filed out of the mining shafts, their suits caked in the fine, iridescent dust that coated everything in the tunnels. I punched in my code on the time clock, the screen flashing green in acknowledgement. My job wasn't glamorous. Overseeing the automated drones as they dug into the planet's crust, extracting ores that were more valuable than anything back on Earth. Yet today the monotony was broken. Parker, a fellow overseer, a guy who could make a spacesuit look tailor-made, hadn't shown up for his shift. It was unlike him. The man was as reliable as the artificial gravity keeping us anchored to the rock. I scanned the locker room, half expecting to hear his booming laugh or see him saunter in, apologising for a rare lapse in punctuality. But there was nothing. Seen Parker? I asked Rivera, the site foreman, as he walked by. Rivera was a compact man, his frame toughened by years in the mines, his face a roadmap of scars from a life spent on the edge of human endurance. Rivera stopped mid-stride and turned towards me. He took a sip from his cup, the stimulant drink steaming slightly in the cool air of the control room. Nope, and he's not the only one, he replied, his voice carrying a weight that immediately set off alarms in my head. That's the third this month. Third? I echoed, the word hanging between us like a bad omen. My mind raced. Disappearances weren't unheard of in the outer colonies, but on a tightly run ship like ours, they were rare and troubling. Rivera nodded, his eyes flicking back to his data pad, as if the device held the answers. Vanished. No calls, no messages, nothing. Like they've been swallowed by the rock itself. The implication was a cold fist in my stomach. In the silence that followed, the distant mechanical hum of the mining drones felt like the heartbeat of a giant beast, indifferent to the ants scurrying over its hide. What's being done? I asked, the words tasting like dust in my mouth. Rivera's gaze met mine, a flash of something unreadable in his eyes. What can we do? We search, we log it, we report it. Then we wait. For what? The question was out before I could stop it. Rivera shrugged, a gesture that felt too casual for the situation. For them to show up again, I guess. Or not. He walked away, leaving me with more questions than answers. The thought of Parker, always so full of life, now just another name on a growing list of mysteries, was unsettling. I knew that until we found answers... None of us would feel safe walking the tunnels of Series 4 again. Three days slipped by. The routine of the mining colony on Series 4 returning to its usual monotonous rhythm. Yet, the undercurrent of unease remained, like a low-frequency vibration felt more in the bones than heard. Parker disappearance, along with the others, became a topic discussed in the mess hall or during the brief moments of respite in the dormitories. Then, without warning, Parker reappeared, as abruptly as he had vanished. I first saw him during the early shift change, his figure materialising from the direction of the living quarters, walking towards the mining shafts. My initial relief at seeing him was quickly replaced by confusion and then a creeping sense of dread. Something was off. Parker moved with a mechanical precision that was alien to the man I knew. His once easygoing stride was replaced by a measured gait, his movements overly deliberate.
Parker! I called out, quickening my pace to catch up to him. He paused, turning to face me, and in that moment, I saw the changes weren't just physical. His eyes were flat, their expression unreadable. Where have you been? I asked, trying to keep my voice even. Concern warred with a growing suspicion that whatever had happened to him might be beyond my understanding. Got lost, he replied, his voice devoid of its usual warmth. It was a simple explanation, delivered with a simplicity that was unnerving. Lost? For three days. My incredulity must have been evident, but Parker merely nodded, as if it were the most natural thing in the world. I'm fine now, he added, his gaze drifting away from mine, focusing on something over my shoulder, something I couldn't see. His response chilled me. It was too pat, too devoid of the Parker I knew, a man who would have spun a wild tale of his disappearance, infusing it with humour and improbable heroics. This Parker was a stranger wearing my friend's face. Are you sure? Maybe you should see the medic, I suggested, though part of me doubted medicine would have answers to the questions bubbling up inside me. No need, I'm fine, he repeated, before turning away and continuing his march towards the shafts. I watched him go, a knot of worry growing in my gut. This wasn't just odd, it was wrong. Parker's return, far from offering relief, only deepened the mystery. His demeanour, his speech, even the way he moved, all pointed to something more sinister than a simple case of getting lost. The rest of my shift passed in a moment. My tasks performed automatically as my mind raced. Parker's condition, the dismissiveness of his explanations, the changes in him, they were symptoms of something we were not equipped to understand, let alone confront. The disappearances, the transformations, they hinted at a threat that was already among us, hidden in plain sight. As the shift ended, I made a decision. I needed to talk to Rivera again, to share what I'd seen and push for action. The situation was unravelling, and if we didn't act soon, I feared what might come next. Parker was back, but the man who returned was a harbinger, a warning that something deeply unsettling was at play on Series 4. In the days that followed Parker's unsettling return, the mining colony on Series 4 fell into a rhythm punctuated by anxiety and whispers. The mess hall hummed with the low, urgent tones of worried conversation. It wasn't long before Parker's case ceased to be an anomaly. More workers went missing, vanishing without a trace only to reappear days later, each changed in the same inexplicable ways. Their personalities were muted, their behaviours synchronised in a manner that couldn't be explained. I took to keeping a log, a detailed record of each disappearance and return. Names, dates, times, any observed changes in behaviour or appearance, it all went into the datapad I kept securely on my person. As the list grew, a pattern emerged, though it offered no comfort. The affected workers seemed drawn to the deeper, unexplored caverns of the mine, areas we had yet to clear for excavation. Their periods of absence varied, but upon their return, they shared the same distant gaze, the same sparse, emotionless speech. The tension within the colony built with each new case, teams huddled closer in the mines, their work punctuated by nervous glances over their shoulders. Safety checks were conducted with religious fervour, 
Yet despite our vigilance, the disappearances continued, an invisible threat that seemed to mock our efforts. One evening, after a particularly grueling double shift, I found myself in the mess hall, nursing a cup of the bitter brew we called coffee. The room was quieter than usual. Rivera sat across from me, his expression grim, his usual energy dulled by the weight of command. We need to do something, I said, breaking the silence between us. My voice sounded too loud in the quiet room, and I lowered it instinctively. This pattern. It's not natural. We're dealing with something beyond our understanding. Rivera sighed, rubbing the bridge of his nose with a hand. I know, he admitted, his voice heavy. I've been in touch with Central Command, but their advice is always the same. Document, report, continue operations. That's not good enough, I pressed, frustration sharpening my words. People are changing, Rivera. Something's taking them, using them. We can't just sit back and watch. He looked at me then, really looked, and I saw the burden of his position. What do you suggest we do then? Mount a search and rescue in the uncharted caverns. We don't even know what we're dealing with. The truth of his words stung. We were miners, not soldiers or scientists. Our tools were designed to break rock, not unravel mysteries of alien transformations. Then we start with what we can do, I said after a moment's thought. We monitor those who return. We keep them isolated until we can understand, whatever this is. Rivera nodded slowly, his eyes meeting mine. All right, we'll set up a quarantine zone in the East Wing. I'll pull some strings, get medical supplies sent up from the surface. It was a plan, rudimentary and burdened with uncertainty, but it was something. The whispers in the mess hall, the glances cast in our direction, told me we were not alone in our fears. The colony needed action, a sign that we were not wholly at the mercy of whatever lurked in the shadows of Series 4. Under the guise of increased safety protocols, Rivera and I implemented the quarantine measures with the reluctant approval of Central Command. The East Wing, typically reserved for storage and seldom used, was hastily converted into a medical observation area. Its isolation from the main living and working quarters made it an ideal location for our purposes. The first to be quarantined were those who had returned most recently, their compliance varying from silent acquiescence to confused resistance. It was a grim task, one that weighed heavily on us, but the necessity of it was undeniable. In the coming days, I volunteered for extra shifts, using my time to discreetly monitor the quarantined workers and the tunnels for any signs of the unknown threat. It was during one of these shifts, as I followed a hunch born of countless hours spent poring over the logs and maps of the mining operations, that I made a chilling discovery. I trailed one of the recently returned workers, a miner named Halsey who had once been a boisterous presence in the colony. Now, he moved with a purposeful silence that set him apart from his peers. His destination was deep within the unmined caverns, far beyond the established excavation zones. The area was off-limits, deemed unsafe for exploration without proper preparation. Yet Halsey navigated the treacherous paths with an ease that belied his supposed unfamiliarity with them. 
Hidden in the shadows, I watched as Halsey met with others like him in a cavern. There was no conversation, no greetings exchanged. Instead, they stood in a circle, their movements synchronized as they began a strange, ritualistic performance. It was a dance that was both mesmerizing and deeply unsettling. My observations were abruptly cut short by a hand on my shoulder. I stifled a cry, spinning around to find Rivera beside me, his expression grim. You've seen it then, he whispered, his voice barely audible over the sound of my racing heart. I could only nod, my mind reeling from the consequences of what we had witnessed. Rivera led me away from the cavern, his grip firm on my arm. Once we were a safe distance away, he stopped, his face filled with concern. This changes everything, he said, his voice low. Whatever's happening to them, it's not just physical, it's, it's like they're being programmed. The word sent a shiver down my spine. Programmed. It suggested an intelligence and purpose behind the transformations that were beyond our worst fears. We need to report this, I said, the urgency of the situation pressing down on me. Central Command needs to know what we're dealing with. Rivera shook his head, his gaze fixed on the dark tunnel that led back to the colony. And say what? That our crew's turning into... what? Puppets? That they're gathering in the depths for who knows what reason? His scepticism was a splash of cold water on my panic. He was right. Without understanding the nature of the threat, without evidence that could be understood and acted upon, our pleas for help would likely be dismissed as stress-induced paranoia. We need proof, Rivera concluded, his decision firm. We need to capture one of them, study them, find out what's controlling them. The plan was daunting but it was the only course of action that offered any hope of understanding the nightmare that had enveloped our colony. With a heavy heart, I agreed, knowing that the path we were about to embark on would test us in ways we couldn't yet imagine. After our harrowing encounter in the unmined caverns, Rivera and I retreated to a secluded part of the colony to devise our plan. The workshop, usually alive with the sound of machinery and the glow of welding torches, was eerily silent lending a solemn atmosphere to our clandestine meeting. Rivera locked the door behind us, ensuring our discussion would remain private. We need to be strategic about this, Rivera started, his voice low, as he spread a map of the colony and the surrounding tunnels on the workbench. The map was a patchwork of explored areas and uncharted territory, the latter marked in red. He pointed to a section of the tunnels near where we had witnessed the gathering. This area has only one entrance and exit, making it ideal for our... operation. I nodded, understanding the significance of what we were about to do. Capturing one of the changed workers was laden with moral and ethical implications, not to mention the risk of confrontation with whatever intelligence was behind this transformation. How do we even approach them without raising alarm? I asked, my mind racing through scenarios, each more tense than the last. Rivera pulled up schematics on his datapad, displaying designs for traps and containment units. We use sedatives, strong enough to incapacitate, not harm. We need them alive and as unaltered as possible. The plan was simple yet audacious. We would set a trap in the designated tunnel 
using a combination of sedatives and a physical containment unit, camouflage to blend into the rocky surroundings. Timing and precision were crucial. The affected workers seemed to possess heightened awareness, likely a byproduct of the alien virus. In the following days, we requisitioned materials under the guise of routine maintenance, assembling the trap in the workshop after hours. The sedatives were harder to come by, but Rivera had contacts in the medical bay who didn't ask too many questions. Every step we took felt like a descent further into conspiracy. But the necessity of our actions was a constant motivator. The night of the operation, the colony slept as Rivera and I made our way to the target tunnel. The weight of the containment unit and the sedative dispersal system was a physical reminder of the stakes. We worked in silence, setting up the trap at the tunnel's narrowest point, ensuring there was no path around it. Then, we waited. Hidden in the shadows, the silence of the tunnels amplifying every small sound into a potential alarm. Time stretched, each minute a test of our resolve. Finally, a figure approached. It was Halsey moving with the same purposefulness we had observed before. As he reached the center of the trap, Rivera activated the sedative dispersal. A hiss filled the air, almost inaudible, and Halsey stumbled, then fell, the sedatives taking effect with alarming speed. We rushed forward, securing him in the containment unit before he could recover. The unit was designed to be portable, but moving it was still an effort, a physical struggle that mirrored the internal conflict I felt. We were crossing lines in the name of survival, the morality of our actions a luxury we could no longer afford. With Halsey securely contained and unconscious in our laboratory, Rivera and I faced the daunting task of unravelling the mystery of his transformation. The workshop had transformed overnight into a clandestine research facility, its tools and instruments repurposed for our investigation. We need to document everything, Rivera said, his voice steady, betraying none of the tension we both felt. Observations, hypotheses, results, we can't afford any mistakes or oversights. I nodded, acutely aware of the responsibility resting on our shoulders. Our plan, born of desperation and necessity, was a multifaceted approach. First, we would conduct a thorough physical examination of Halsey, looking for any visible signs of the alien virus's influence. Next, we would take blood samples, hoping to isolate and analyze the pathogen, if it could be called that. Finally, we would attempt to communicate with Halsey once he regained consciousness, seeking any insight into his experiences during his absence. The examination revealed subtle changes that would have been easy to overlook. Halsey's skin had a faint glow, barely perceptible under the workshop's harsh lights. His pupils were dilated, unresponsive to changes in light intensity, as if permanently fixed in a state of alertness. These physical anomalies provided the first tangible evidence of the alien virus's effects, a disturbing confirmation of our fears. Collecting blood samples was a more straightforward task, albeit not without its risks. We had to ensure that the virus, assuming it was present in his bloodstream, did not pose a threat to us. Rivera handled the procedure with clinical precision, his previous experience in biochemistry proving invaluable. The samples were stored in sealed containers, ready for analysis with the colony's limited medical equipment. 
The most uncertain part of our plan was the attempt to communicate with Halsey. We had no way of knowing the extent of his transformation, whether he retained any semblance of his former self or if he was even capable of speech. Hours passed as we waited for Halsey to awaken. When he finally stirred, his movements were sluggish, disoriented. As he became more alert, his gaze fixed on us, his eyes clear for the first time since his return. The moment of truth had arrived. Halsey, can you hear me? I asked, my voice steady despite the rapid beating of my heart. His response was slow, his voice a hoarse whisper. Yes. Relief flooded through me, tempered by the severity of our situation. Do you remember what happened to you? I continued, aware that each question could be a step closer to understanding or a reminder of how far we had strayed into the unknown. His eyes twitched, a shadow of confusion, or was it fear, passing over his features. I... I was in the tunnels. There was... something. It called to me. Called to you? Rivera interjected, his interest piqued. Can you describe it? Halsey struggled. Not... not with words. It was like... like feeling hunger or thirst but not for food or water, for connection. His words, though fragmented, were a revelation. The virus, or whatever entity lay behind it, communicated with its hosts on a primal, instinctual level. This call, Halsey described, suggested a form of control far beyond our initial understanding, hinting at a complex, perhaps sentient, force at work. Rivera and I exchanged a glance a silent acknowledgement of the enormity of our discovery. The alien virus didn't just transform its hosts physically. It altered their very desires, their needs, binding them to its will. The task of analysing Halsey's blood samples became our primary focus. Rivera took the lead, utilising the colony's limited medical equipment. Our goal was clear. Isolate the virus, understand its biology, and hopefully discover a means to counteract its effects. As Rivera prepared the samples for analysis, I couldn't help but watch Halsey, who now lay sedated for his safety and ours. The man before us was both the colleague we knew and a mystery, transformed by an unseen hand. Rivera's voice broke the silence, pulling me back to the task at hand. The virus, it's unlike anything I've ever seen he said, peering intently at the data displayed on the screen. It's not just hijacking the cellular machinery like typical pathogens. It's rewriting it, incorporating itself into the host's DNA. A virus that could rewrite DNA was beyond a mere biological threat. It was a force of evolution, capable of creating something entirely new and potentially hostile. Can we stop it? I asked, the question laden with the weight of our predicament. Rivera sighed, his gaze shifting from the screen to meet mine. Maybe. I need to run more tests. If we can understand how it integrates itself, we might be able to develop an antiviral agent. But it's going to take time, time we may not have. Our conversation was interrupted by the sound of commotion outside the workshop. The door burst open, revealing a group of miners, their faces marked by fear and anger. They're coming! One of them gasped, out of breath from running. The changed ones, they're moving towards the colony centre. We need to do something now. 
The urgency in his voice propelled us into action. The immediate threat to the colony took precedence over our research. We needed to defend our home, our people, from whatever was coming. Rivera and I quickly devised a plan. Using the colony's communication system, we rallied the remaining uninfected workers, organizing an improvised defense at the colony's main thoroughfares. As the changed workers approached, their movements synchronized in an eerie march. We were forced to confront the reality of our situation. These were our friends, our co-workers, now turned against us by the alien virus. The standoff was brief but intense. Our show of force, coupled with the non-lethal deterrence we had prepared, halted the advance of the changed workers. For a moment it seemed as though we might be able to reason with them, to reach the remnants of the people they once were. But the virus's grip was too strong. The changed workers retreated, their intentions unclear but undoubtedly hostile. In the aftermath of the confrontation, the colony was left in a state of heightened alert. Barricades were erected, watch schedules organized, and every available resource was directed towards fortifying our defenses. The capture of Halsey, though a significant risk, had provided us with invaluable information. Our survival depended on understanding and countering the alien virus itself. In the wake of the confrontation with the changed workers, the workshop that served as our lab became the epicenter of the colony's hope for survival. Rivera, with a focus that bordered on obsession, dedicated himself to analyzing the alien virus, while I coordinated our defenses and kept a vigilant watch over Halsey and the secured samples. The analysis was painstaking, requiring meticulous attention to detail. Rivera utilized every tool and resource at our disposal, from the colony's rudimentary medical scanners to the chemical synthesizers designed for mineral assay, repurposing them for biological research. The challenge was the limitations of our equipment, which was never intended for such sophisticated work. Despite these obstacles, Rivera made progress. He discovered that the virus operated by inserting its genetic material into the host's DNA, effectively becoming part of the host. This integration was precise, targeted at specific sequences that seemed to control behavior and physiological changes, hinting at a level of sophistication that was terrifying. The virus isn't just changing them on a cellular level, it's altering their very blueprint, Rivera explained, his voice filled with horror. It's like it's custom designed to create something, a worker, a drone controlled by whatever intelligence created it. His findings shed light on the changed workers' behavior, their seemingly purposeful actions and their bizarre coordination. It was a biological takeover, a silent invasion that left the host's exterior unchanged while transforming them from the inside out. But it was Rivera's next discovery that offered hope. I think I've found a potential weakness, he said his fatigue momentarily forgotten in the wake of his breakthrough. The virus integrates using a specific enzyme. If we can inhibit that enzyme, we might be able to stop the integration process, maybe even reverse it. The revelation was a turning point. An enzyme inhibitor could be synthesized given the right resources and time. The challenge was formidable. 
We needed to design a molecule that could target the enzyme without harming the host, a task that would be difficult under the best of circumstances, let alone in our improvised lab. But necessity is the mother of invention, and the threat hanging over us lent urgency to our work. Rivera labored over the synthesizer, testing compounds, discarding those that were ineffective, and refining those that showed promise. It was a trial and error process governed by educated guesses and hopeful intuition. Meanwhile, the colony remained on edge. The changed workers had not made another attempt to breach our defences, but their presence loomed over us, a silent challenge to our efforts to reclaim our comrades and our home. As the days passed, our isolation became more pronounced. Communication with Central Command was sporadic, the distance and the situation on Series 4, making assistance a logistical impossibility. We were on our own, a small band of miners and engineers turned soldiers and scientists, fighting an enemy unprecedented in humanity's history. Through it all, Halsey remained our touchstone, a living symbol of the stakes. His occasional moments of lucidity were heartbreaking, brief glimpses of the man he used to be trapped within the virus's grip. Finally, after countless iterations and false starts, Rivera emerged from the lab, a vial of clear liquid in his hand. This is it, he said, a cautious optimism in his voice. Our best shot at an inhibitor. It's time to test it. The moment had arrived to confront our invisible adversary directly, armed with science and a desperate hope. As Rivera prepared for the crucial test of the enzyme inhibitor, the clear liquid in the vial symbolised a tangible fightback against an alien force that had insidiously woven itself into the fabric of our lives on Series 4. I watched over Halsey, who lay on the examination table, his breathing steady but shallow. The sedatives we administered kept him in a state of tranquil unawareness, protecting him and us during the procedure. Rivera, with a steadiness that belied the high stakes, drew a measured dose of the inhibitor into a syringe. This could be it, he muttered, more to himself than to me, his focus unwavering as he found a vein in Halsey's arm. The needle pierced the skin, and he slowly depressed the plunger, injecting the inhibitor into Halsey's bloodstream. We waited, the seconds stretching into minutes, our eyes fixed on Halsey for any sign of reaction. The lab's equipment repurposed for our urgent needs, monitored his vital signs, displaying data that fluctuated with the promise of change or the threat of failure. At first there was nothing. Halsey remained still, his body seemingly indifferent to the intervention. But then, almost imperceptibly at first, there was a shift. His breathing deepened and the glow that had subtly marked his skin began to fade, retreating like the tide. Rivera and I exchanged glances, a wordless communication filled with cautious optimism. We dared not speak our hopes aloud, fearing to jinx the fragile progress we were witnessing. Minutes turned into hours, and gradually more changes became apparent. The dilation of Halsey's pupils began to normalise, and the faint, unnatural glow that had suffused his eyes dimmed. It was as if we were watching the alien presence within him being erased, its insidious grip loosened by the inhibitor. But the true test came when Halsey began to stir. His movements were sluggish at first, 
like someone emerging from a deep and disorienting sleep. His eyes fluttered open, confusion warring with recognition as they focused on his surroundings. Where? Where am I? He croaked, his voice rough from disuse. You're safe, I assured him, stepping closer. You were sick, but you're getting better now. Sick, he repeated. I remember the tunnels, voices. His words trailed off, lost in the effort to piece together fragmented recollections. It was clear the experience had left scars, gaps in his memory that might never be fully bridged. But beneath the confusion, there was something else. An underlying clarity that had been absent in the changed workers. Rivera was quick to capitalise on the moment. Halsey, do you remember anything about what happened to you? Anything at all can help us. Halsey's gaze shifted between us, a struggle evident in his expression as he tried to marshal his thoughts. It was like a dream, he began slowly. A dream where you know you're asleep but can't wake up. There was a pull, something calling me, but it's... It's fading now. The inhibitor was working, severing the connection the virus had forged. Rivera recorded every word, every observation, knowing that each piece of information was a precious tool in our fight against the alien threat. Buoyed by the initial success with Halsey, Rivera and I wasted no time in scaling up our efforts. In the lab, every piece of equipment was repurposed towards the production and refinement of the enzyme inhibitor. Halsey's recovery, though still incomplete, provided hope for the entire colony. Word of our experiment and its promising results spread quickly, igniting optimism in the shadowed corridors of Series 4. We prepared a larger batch of the inhibitor, each step in the process measured and deliberate. The stakes were higher now. We were no longer working with a single dose, but a quantity that could potentially treat multiple infected individuals. Rivera's expertise was invaluable, guiding us through the complex chemistry with a steady hand. Despite the pressure, he maintained a calm demeanour, a rock amidst the swirling currents of fear and hope that enveloped us. With the new batch ready, we faced the daunting task of selecting the next subjects for treatment. The decision weighed heavily on us, knowing that each individual represented a risk of unknown complications. We chose three of the changed workers, each at different stages of transformation, hoping to gauge the inhibitor's effectiveness across a spectrum of infection. The treatments were administered under strict observation, with Rivera and I monitoring the subjects for any adverse reactions. The colony's medical team, drawn from various disciplines and now acting far beyond their original roles, stood by to provide support. The hours following the administration were tense, a period of waiting filled with anxious glances at monitors and whispered conversations. But slowly, unmistakably, signs of improvement began to emerge. The glow that marked the skin of the infected started to fade, and their vacant expressions gave way to confusion, and then recognition. One by one the subjects began to regain a sense of themselves, their memories fragmented but returning. Like Halsey, they described a sensation of being called, drawn by an irresistible force that now seemed to recede from their consciousness. It was a clear indication that we were on the right path. However, the experiment was not without its setbacks. 
One subject showed a slower response to the treatment, hinting at the complexity of the virus's interaction with its host and the variability in individual physiology. Despite these hurdles, the overall success of the experiment was undeniable. We had demonstrated not only that the inhibitor could reverse the effects of the virus, but that it could do so consistently across multiple subjects. It was a significant breakthrough, one that shifted the balance of power in our struggle against the alien pathogen. The next steps were clear. We needed to produce the inhibitor in larger quantities to refine its formulation for broader application. Each recovered individual was a victory, a life reclaimed from the brink of oblivion. But we were also aware that the changed workers who had not been captured, those still under the sway of the virus, represented a continuing threat. We needed to reach them, to offer treatment before the alien intelligence behind the virus decided to act. With the success of the enzyme inhibitor experiment, our next challenge was to extend our reach to those still under the virus's influence, the changed workers who roamed the tunnels and caverns beyond our fortifications. The colony began to coalesce around a new purpose. Volunteers came forward, driven by the hope that their friends and loved ones could be brought back from the brink. We organized teams, each equipped with doses of the inhibitor, medical supplies, and non-lethal restraint equipment. The goal was clear, locate the changed workers, administer the inhibitor, and bring them back for observation and further treatment. It was a dangerous task, one troubled with the risk of confrontation with individuals who might not understand or appreciate our intentions. Rivera and I briefed each team, emphasizing the need for caution and compassion. These are our people, I reminded them. Scared, confused, but still ours. We're going to bring them home. The first forays into the unsecured tunnels were tense. The changed workers, for their part, seemed to sense our intentions, avoiding confrontation in most cases. It was as if the alien intelligence that had guided them was now uncertain, its control weakened by our newfound ability to resist. One team, led by a miner named Elizabeth, encountered a group of changed workers in the lower caverns, their glowing eyes shining in the dim light. The standoff was brief, the changed workers hesitant, their movements uncoordinated. Using a combination of sedatives and the inhibitor, Elizabeth's team was able to subdue them gently, administering the treatment with practiced efficiency. The operation was a success, the recovered individuals showing signs of improvement even before being brought back to the lab. It was a pattern that repeated itself in the days that followed, each expedition bringing more of our colleagues back from the edge of alien transformation. However, not all encounters were peaceful. A team exploring the outer tunnels was ambushed by a group of changed workers, their actions more aggressive, possibly driven by a lingering influence of the virus. The confrontation was a reflection of the risks we faced, underscoring the possibility that not all could be saved through our current means. Despite the setback, the team managed to retreat without serious injury. The counterattack, as it came to be known among the colony, marked a turning point in our struggle against the virus. With each individual recovered, the sense of despair that had gripped Series 4 began to lift, replaced by a cautious optimism. The colony rallied, the effort to produce and distribute the inhibitor becoming a communal priority, 
Scientists, miners, engineers, everyone contributed, their roles blurred in the face of our common goal. Rivera cautioned against complacency. We've made progress, he acknowledged, but we're not out of the woods yet. We need to understand the virus better, to anticipate its responses. His words were prophetic. The alien intelligence behind the virus, though weakened, was not defeated. Reports began to emerge of changed workers exhibiting new behaviours, as if adapting to our tactics. Our enemy was not static. The battle for Series 4 was an evolving conflict. The efforts of the counterattack began to bear fruit, transforming the atmosphere of the mining colony on Series 4 from one of despair to cautious hope. With each successful expedition, the number of changed workers we were able to bring back and treat grew their recoveries bolstering the morale of the entire community. Yet, as Rivera had warned, the situation remained fluid. The alien virus and its unseen architects adapting to our strategies in unnerving ways. Despite the challenges, we pressed on, refining our approach based on each encounter, learning from both our successes and setbacks. The production of the enzyme inhibitor became the colony's top priority, with labs cropping up in various sectors, each contributing to the stockpile of our most potent weapon against the alien threat. Amidst this concerted effort, an unexpected breakthrough emerged. A team exploring the deeper tunnels, areas we had previously deemed too dangerous, stumbled upon a cavern filled with crystalline structures. Initial analysis revealed that these crystals emitted a frequency that seemed to disrupt the virus's control mechanisms a natural countermeasure to the alien pathogen. Rivera, intrigued by the discovery, spearheaded the research into harnessing this frequency. If we can replicate this effect, amplify it, we might be able to protect the entire colony, maybe even neutralize the virus at its source, he theorized, his mind racing with the possibilities. The work was intense, the stakes higher than ever. We constructed a device designed to emit the discovered frequency throughout the colony's network, a bold experiment that, if successful, could turn the tide in our favor. As we activated the device, the effect was immediate and profound. Across the colony, the changed workers who had yet to be treated began to show signs of disorientation, their aggressive behaviors diminishing as the alien virus's influence waned. It was as if a veil had been lifted, the invisible bonds that tethered them to the will of the virus, weakening. Encouraged by this success, we mounted a final counter-offensive, reaching out to the remaining changed workers with a combination of the inhibitor treatment and the protective frequency. The operations were cautious, each recovery a victory for the entire colony. The resolution of the crisis came gradually, the shadow of the alien threat receding as more of our people were returned to us. The process was not without its sorrows. Some of the changed workers were too far gone, their bodies and minds irreparably altered by the virus. Yet, amid the grief, there was also triumph. Series 4 had pulled back from the edge, its people united by a shared ordeal. The sense of community, of collective resilience, was stronger than ever. In the weeks following the resolution of the crisis on Series 4, 
a sense of normalcy began to return to the mining colony. The threat of the alien virus had been neutralized, but the question of its origin lingered, a mystery that tugged at the minds of those who had fought so hard for survival. It was a puzzle piece missing from the complete picture of our ordeal, a gap in our understanding that demanded exploration. With the colony now safe and the inhibitor production process stabilized, a team was assembled for a new mission, to venture into the unexplored depths of Series 4, to trace the origins of the alien virus. I volunteered to lead the expedition, driven by a need for answers, for closure after all we had endured. Rivera, with his invaluable scientific insight, joined me, along with a select group of miners and researchers, each motivated by curiosity and a desire to safeguard our future. Our journey took us deep into the caverns beneath the colony, far beyond the areas previously mapped. The tunnels here were ancient, their walls etched with the passage of time, leading us into the heart of Series 4. It was in one such cavern, vast and filled with silence, that we made a discovery that would forever change our understanding of the crisis we had faced. Buried beneath layers of rock and sediment, obscured by the shadows of the cavern, lay the remnants of an ancient alien spacecraft. Its hull was breached, worn by centuries, perhaps millennia, of exposure to the harsh environment of the asteroid. Its surface marked with symbols and patterns that suggested a civilization far removed from our own. The revelation was staggering. The alien virus, the cause of so much suffering and loss, had not been a natural occurrence but part of the cargo of this long-forgotten vessel. It was a piece of a larger story. A fragment of interstellar history that had inadvertently ensnared the colony on Series 4. Carefully, we approached the spacecraft, our instruments and sensors probing its secrets. Inside, we found what appeared to be a cargo hold containing canisters similar in design to the crystalline structures that emitted the frequency capable of disrupting the virus. It was a containment system, we realized, designed to hold and control the virus for purposes unknown. Rivera was fascinated. This changes everything, he whispered, his gaze locked on the alien technology before us. The virus was engineered, a tool or weapon of this alien race, and the frequency, it was a safety mechanism, perhaps lost when the ship crashed. The alien virus, a remnant of a bygone era, had lain dormant on Series 4 until disturbed by our mining activities. Its release had been an accident, a tragic intersection of human endeavour and the remnants of an alien past. As we documented the spacecraft and its contents, the mission took on a new significance, it was no longer just an exploration of Series 4's depths, but a first contact, albeit indirect, with another civilization. The data we collected, the samples and images of the ship and its cargo, would provide invaluable insights into the galaxy's history and the potential dangers that lay hidden among the stars. Returning to the colony, our findings were met with apprehension. The discovery of the alien spacecraft and the origins of the virus it carried offered closure on the crisis that had threatened to destroy us. But it also opened a door to the unknown and the vastness of space and the mysteries it held. 
The revelation of its alien origin was proof of the complexity of the universe, a call to explore and understand the forces that shaped our existence. As we looked to the future, we did so with a new awareness of our place in the cosmos, ready to face its challenges with the same unity that had brought us through the darkness.